So yeah, I think little traumas occur in everyone's life. I mean, it's part of the human experience. You know, they don't teach you very well about your own self-worth, your own value, and that you're loved simply because. And then, and then being able to believe that, really believe that for yourself um, without anyone else having to tell you anything or be in any way, act in any way towards you, you know, that you just know it in your core. Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Welcome back to the podcast. This is your host, Moira Gorski. Thank you for coming back and listening. Again, I really appreciate it. If you are enjoying the podcast, please do not forget to subscribe so that you continue to get notifications when we post another episode, as well as rate and review and share it because that is the way that we continue to get the word out of this hopeful podcast. And I appreciate that. Today, my friend Lori Swanson is joining me. I have known Lori for several years. Let's use that word, several years. Um, We have children who have been in uh, school together, a band together. Uh, We go to the same health club. Uh, She is a working woman, uh, professional, and um, so I know her from all of that. And as I share so many times, everybody has a story, right? And as I ran into Lori uh, in the last few months, we talked about my podcast and what she was up to and said, you know, I'd love to come on. And Lori said, I'd love to come on and share my story. And let's talk about um, how our stories have inspired us to be who we are today and how we go on to inspire others. So Lori Swanson is a, she's a career strategist and inclusion advocate. She has her own company um, called Inspire Tech. And again, she really helps to inspire and empower women. So thank you, Lori, for coming on my podcast today and uh, being a part of this. I really appreciate it. You are welcome. I'm happy to be here, Moira, and happy to answer all your questions. I'm yeah. open book. So <laughs> right. yeah. So today, let's start with your story again. Like I say, everybody's got a story. If it's um, struggle, addiction, um, good, bad. Um, yeah. Again, you know, everybody has a story which leads them to where they are today. So I always ask people to start there with their story. Yeah. So yeah, I. I feel like I have like more than one story (laughs) that sort of interweave, you know, I don't even know really where to start. So yes. Uh, And it's funny because you said, I said, I would love to come on the program, but in fact, we, uh, I was like, you know, I'm intrigued. There's a part of me that wants to come on the program. And there's a part of me that still is fairly protective around, you know, my journey and my story because uh, it isn't just me. You know, my story um, touches other people, but at the same time, I, you know, I'm not one to hide, and I actually think that's detrimental, especially if you're, if you're someone who has 
you know, had uh, solutions that include addictive behaviors. <laughs> so part of my journey, so yes, I'm a, I'm, you know, I don't even like to use recovered or even in recovery. Uh, I don't know why I, I sort of resist those words, but absolutely I had um, an, an addic- addictive uh, path you know, that goes way back in some ways, you know, I don't even know how, you know, how does, how does an addiction start? Mine was drugs and alcohol. And so it, you know, at a young age, you know, when everyone's drinking and, and it's fun. And I always said, I probably was less of an alcoholic, even though, uh, than I was a Coke addict, <laughs> even though, you know, I had to quit drinking in order to quit using drugs because of the, just the, the pattern of, oh, this is so fun, you know, having a couple of cocktails, let's go find the drugs. Yeah, it's and, kind of that socialization, like, right. like you said, one behavior leads to another, and it's part of this whole, this whole activity that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And, and it took me a while, you know, so I always say my, my journey is like the 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 story my journey to what we'll call recovery but to to where i am today which is uh celebrating this year my 20 let me think let me add for a second 25th year of no drinking and no drugs so it's wow something to celebrate for a very very long time um but i started young too so uh so i was not clean and sober for a very very long time too and i had probably a decade of pretty severe addictive behaviors. Well, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, where do things, where do these things start? And I just uh, was on a interview prior to this um, and we were talking about childhood wounds and, you know, childhood traumas, but not, not just big T traumas, but small traumas, like not feeling like you're enough or that you're seen in your family or that, that you're adequate enough or that you're not, again, there's a lot, you know, you're not, um, you're not, uh, seen for your worth and those type of things. And I think that that's a lot of times where these coping mechanisms, if you want to call them, or behaviors, they start. We start to numb ourselves out because those things hurt, right? We're hurt by others, by what they say, or they don't say, or they see us, or they don't see us. And so we start- And we don't really understand it with our immature- minds, I think there's lots and lots of work going on now around trauma. And it isn't just the trauma of going to war, but it's absolutely, for example, but it's absolutely these small traumas that um, uh, that you respond to and how you respond to them. Uh, you know, there's so many, there's soft and hard addictions, right? You know, mm-hmm. so the the and and there's drugs and alcohol, but there's also you know shopping and oversleeping and you know over analyze. I'd say over xing. You know, it's kind right. of like you know all of those getting angry and having these angry outbursts is a release because really what I felt in hindsight, and I still I mean you know I'm not addiction free even though I don't drink and I don't use drugs. Thank God. Um, you know, I still respond in times of stress with a lot of, you know, sugar (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, um, and thing, you know, that's my go-to now probably is, you know, but I, when I look at it from in hindsight, I always know that there's sort of this slow, it's like a, you know, a pressure cooker kind of, you know, where the water's starting to boil. And if I'm not 
uh, having good self-care in that process, even when I don't feel like I need the self-care, you know, as in, you know, I don't need to go, you know, I don't need to go to bed quite yet, you know, or whatever, getting good sleep and, and eating, eating healthier and, and getting exercise, even, you know, and journaling and meditating. And all, I mean, my list of self-care is, is way bigger than my list of how I, how I, how I took care of myself with my addictions for sure. Um, you know, it has to be that Mm -hmm. because that's how strong the pull was. And, uh, and I think, you know, so there's those slight, those traumas that you, that sort of, you know, traumatic events that, you know, seem kind of like inconsequential in some, some cases, but they, they hit your soul and they break your heart and they, they, they make you uh, think differently about yourself or about the world. And how do you navigate in a world where you're feeling hurt and wounded, mm-hmm. you know, and that, um, and little things keep and the wounds don't have time to heal, you know? So, yeah, I think little traumas occur in everyone's life. I mean, it's part of the human experience. You know, they don't teach you very well about your own self-worth, your own value, and that you're loved simply because, and then, and then being able to believe that, really believe that for yourself um, without anyone else having to tell you anything or be in any way, mm-hmm. act in any way towards you, you know, that you just know it in your core. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a hard, it's hard to get to that place where you're just like, yeah, I'm okay, regardless, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Re- regardless of what people say or what happened or what will happen, I'm just, I'm okay being me right here, right now. Yeah. It's a hard place to, to get to. Yeah. And I think back to what we said sort of in the beginning is one of the decisions I made in recovery. So my recovery journey is, uh, you know, similar, I guess, uh, to, you know, you talk about those little traumas sort of chipping away at someone's self-esteem, self-confidence, self-worth. But in recovery, you know, my recovery journey, and I think that's true for, for almost every addict, I've, if not every addict I've ever talked to, is it's like the idea of it wasn't just one swing of the axe that tumbled the tree, but it's all of the chops before it, you know, so all of the AA meetings I attended, even though I am not, I do not attend AA now, and I haven't for uh, decades, but it was part of my journey. I had a you know, an addictive, I I had a couple addiction coaches or therapists, one that actually fired me, you know, because, because I wasn't, I, you know, she said, I I need to create space for people who are willing (laughs) to do the work. And I, and at the time I'm like, I don't know what you're, what are you, I come here. And if I don't come here, I pay you. But that, you know, that was not, you know, that was not what she was looking for in, in who she was willing to support and, and totally respect that. Um, and I never really blamed her for it. I, I was just confused by it. But but I just still think it's kind of interesting to get fired by, by a therapist. I mean, I've had that. I mean, my daughter's had that a couple of times that the therapist or the dietitian said, you know what, I can't see you anymore. And it is kind of that, like, you need to take responsibility for what's going on. You know, in my daughter's case, it was she needed a higher level of care. And they felt that it, you know, they were being irresponsible if they continued to, you know, counsel her outside of uh, a higher level of care. So, you know, it happens. But I think it is that you're going to, yeah, we can go through the motions, go to the therapist, do all the things. But if you're really not taking that responsibility. 
And in fact, I wasn't ready, you know, but it was, you know, when I, when I look back on it, it was me, a cry for help, you know, and she, she wasn't necessarily, it wasn't her responsibility to save me, but it was part of that chop in the ax that was like, you know, I know that I'm, I know that I'm not happy with this behavior because I was very high functioning in the sense that, you know, I built a business, I made a lot of money, I was fun, I was, you know, I had, you know, a huge social community, we were living in Chicago, we, uh, I was, you know, the organizer of all the fun parties and the rooftop games and the you know, Cubby Bear uh, renting out the top floor Halloween parties year over year. And, you know, I was, I was the party girl and also um, was unable to, to go to bed once I started, you know, using Coke. And so I would have three or four day binges fairly regularly, but they would generally start Thursday night, run through Sunday night, feel like crap Monday and Tuesday, start to feel better on Wednesday and start thinking, wow, I, I'm ready to go again. But on Sunday, I was like, never again, never again. And on those days, after those long weekends, sometimes I would look for another solution. So I'd go back to AA for a while and I'd get clean for a while and, you know, chop of the X, chop of the X. I'd hear some, some things that would stick with me that made sense to me. Like, you know, in AA, one of the ones that someone said to me, I, I walked in, I must've looked like hell <laughs> being up after for several days. And Someone said, you know, you never have to feel like this again. And I'm like, and I'm like, oh, if I don't, because when you're clean and sober, you know, especially in the first days, even if it's the fifth or sixth or seventh time that you've gone through it, but your eyes are different. You know, the world looks different. You feel different. You feel more joyous, you, you know, and why wouldn't you want to keep feeling like that? But then the pull, you know, of, of, and again, it's that slow burn, you know, of not, having good, what was still bothering me was still bothering me. What I still couldn't figure out how to, to manage on the outside world, I still wasn't able to manage on the outside world. I just didn't have the, the life skills perhaps to, to do some of those things. And that took many, many swings of therapy and AA meetings and reading books and spiritual pilgrimages and, and all of those things till until the day, you know, and I, you know, in AA, everyone has like their date and then that's their annual celebration, right? So mm-hmm. they, they come in and celebrate their one year, their two year, their five year, their 10 year. I never really had a date. I, I know I could go back and get a date, but uh, because it was 1994, I was in rehab in 91. So sober for 13 months, not sober, slow burn again, back up the alley to, um, you know, so then again, it's that idea of, well, I'll just drink because drinking again, wasn't something that compelled me to drink and drink and drink and drink. But it was the thing that sort of opened the idea again to the, to the, uh, Hey, let's go and, you know, hit some of these places where I know I can get, get some drugs. And so when I, you know, that was huge for me when I realized that I, uh, that that gateway sort of thing for me, I had to give up as well. And I battled that almost worse because then you have all these ideas of, you know, you start to think about what is life going to be like if I'm not, can sort of imagine not, you know, staying up for four days, but what about New Year's Eve and what about weddings and what about, you know, um, 
the 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 Bulls playoff games and at the bars and you know I mean those sorts of things that I have so much and I have all kinds of people around me that weren't struggling with addictions like I was so they could continue to drink and not go off the the deep end and so my date I always say is the Monday following whatever Super Bowl Sunday is. So whatever that next Monday is, that's my date because I had a binge to end all binges. And in fact, not unlike many other binge to end all binges, it just happened to be the one which I woke up and I was done. So like a miracle, the ax finally made it through and um, and I never drank or, or drugged again. It wasn't, I went to sleep and woke up. It was a decade of of a desire, a hope, a prayer, a yearning for different something that makes me cry, you know, of being, because it's so painful when you're in it, you know, that you don't want to keep living like that. And yet you can't figure out how not to. And it may be simple, just don't do this, you know, just don't do that. But it's not that simple. It's really not that simple. No, and and congratulations to you for, you know, for that date and for moving forward and and for being vulnerable. And because that, I've heard that from my daughter. I've heard that from so many others that these things go on and on. And people, and I, and I even mentioned this in a support group I was in the other night with, you know, I remember the first treatment center that my daughter was in and I was sitting there with, you know, visiting her and a, do- a mother was talking about her frustration and they were trying to find their 10th treatment place for their daughter. And I was like, 10th treatment? I mean, that's just crazy. Like, how can it go on for that long? Well, here I am six years later right. and I think my daughter's treatment place is perhaps her 10th place. And and I've heard that from her and from many others. Like, I, I have the, I want this over. I don't want to live this way. Right. I don't. And and it sounds so simple for those that are listening who haven't battled addictions or perhaps you have right. somebody in your life that is battling it, for us. It's like, come on, just quit. Like you don't want to live there. So just quit doing it. It's really not that simple. And so mm-hmm. I really appreciate you sharing that and being vulnerable about that because it's so true for you as well as so many others. And something does, again, that's why I love to share these stories and listen to them because they're, I've heard it many times. There's that time. It's like, you know what? I'm just done. And yeah. I'm going to, you know, recover for me, or I'm going to recover because I want to be a mom, or I'm going to recover because I want to see my brother graduate from high school or whatever the case none is. None of that, by the way, I had <laughs> none of that external reason. I did it. I, you know, I, I had tried to do it for my health and I tried to do it for my relationship. And I had, you know, I can hear that even as being, being uh, a good reason to do something, but all I had was grief and sadness, you know, same sort of thing, I guess, but just like this, this, I don't want to live like this. I don't know how not to live like this. I think I get it figured out and then I don't get it figured out. And I know that I shouldn't open the door because once I open it up an inch, it's wide open. Eventually, sometimes it would be, you know, I'd be sober like after rehab, I was sober for 13 months and I was, won a trip 
Actually, my sister won a trip to Boston uh, through the Loop Radio, but oh, she, yeah. had just, she had just delivered the week before her daughter, and she couldn't, and so the radio let her gift it to me. So myself and one of my girlfriends went to Boston, and we got to see uh, Bruce Springsteen, That was, and it was a week in Boston, Bruce Springsteen. And so you're in Boston, and I'm like, you know, where do you go? You know, so, you know, we go to Trinity, or, you know, we have lobster, and we wander around. I mean, it's beautiful. One of my, you know, you know, favorite, favorite city, go to, you know, the Red Sox game, did all that. And then you go to Cheers. And I'm like, we're in Cheers. And I'm thinking to myself, well, a flaming rum punch, you know, why not? And that was, and that was it. And I actually was getting married the next month. So my sister had sort of gifted it to me as a wedding present. So I had this flaming rum punch when we were there and didn't really realize that I'd open that barn door, you know, and then that was it. And then I didn't, you know, I got married and I had like a half of a drink at my wedding a month later. And then, uh, this is 92. So I'd been in rehab in July of 91. This was now September of 92. And then I slowly, my, you know, we started it. And it was funny because people around me were kind of like, uh, you know, I, my girlfriend, even many years after I got sober, she was like, you know, I know you did Coke. I hear you say how bad it was, but I never knew that because I was so good, not at hiding it, but just, you know, I was just the life of the party. And, and when I'm sober, I'm also the life of the party. Right. <laughs> you know, I, like I, I've always person. known you to be a very, you know, cheerful yeah open, fun, gal. My personality didn't significantly change. Now my patterns eventually changed, you know, as in I didn't buy, you know, I was making a lot of money. I didn't, I was buying everyone, you know, drinks, like let's keep the party going, you know, because I could, that changed. I, I, um, learned how to set better boundaries with um, like with my husband, for example, if we're going to go to people's houses for parties, I could see myself, I could feel myself starting to get anxious, like bored even. And I hate to say that, but I, I would start to get bored at parties and things. And if you're drinking, I think a lot of people are bored. <laughs> and I think it's just the drinking that keeps the party going on two or three more hours, you know, because if when you're not drinking, you have conversations, they're fun, they're exciting. But if that's all you're doing, for me anyways, uh, I, I would start to get anxious and bored. So I had to, we had to come up with a way in which he understood that there will be a point when I'm ready to leave and you can come with me or you can find your own way home, <laughs> you know? And so, and, and he, you know, it's like, what? Yeah. He didn't, didn't understand. And they, he didn't understand those sorts of boundaries. And I think lots of times people don't understand those. He still kind of is like, what's the big deal? You know, you're 20, you know, five years sober, you know, it's not a big deal, but it's still a big deal. I still make sure I have an out. (laughs) And that's good, you know, because I like to, you know, ask people, and I was going to ask you too, like, again, what are those things that help to keep you on this path, be it that it's self-care, but which we talk about a lot, because I talk about that a lot and keep finding other ways self-care for me, but that boundary, that's a great, you know, to, to let your friend know, or to get your husband know, like, hey, when I give you the signal, like, hey, it's time to go, like, I really need to leave. It's not just... Well, and, and, and it isn't their responsibility to leave with me. And right. that's a big thing is no one has to do anything for me. 
I have to decide what do I need to do to take care of myself? Right. And I learned, so in the process of getting sober, I had entered into therapy, not because I wanted to get sober. I was looking for, um, I wanted to lose weight. And someone had referred me to this therapist and she had a community, actually. She had like group therapy and individual therapy and they had a retreat center where they would do these seasonal retreats. And, and so I began that probably in 93. So somewhere in there. And so I still, again, still wanting to improve myself, still wanting to, you know, you know, cause I, again, multiple addictions. So besides drugs and alcohol is food. And so that's where I focused. And in that process, I started learning things like, like the, the, the boundary thing that came because I went to a therapy session and they were in the city and I had parked just like I always did. And I don't even know if I told you this story, I might have, but I had parked and put in, you know, my coins for an hour and a half. My session is 50 minutes or whatever. And that's what, maybe I put it in for an hour. My session's 50 minutes. I arrive, you know, with plenty of time for my session plus 10 minutes to spare right in front of the building, right? And I go up and for whatever reason, the therapist is running late. So I'm sitting there and as I start to look at my, my watch and I'm like, you know, I'm pissed. They're running late. This is going to impact my meter. I might get a ticket, blah, blah, blah. So I'm thinking all this. He, he comes out, the therapist comes out and I go in and I said, you know, and I don't even know exactly. I think that I did get a ticket. And I think the next time I came back pissed and I'm like, look, you know, my time is as, as valuable as yours. You know, we had this time scheduled. You ran late. It ended up being a ticket for me, which makes logical sense, right? Like value, we have this time scheduled value. You know, that mm-hmm. makes logical sense. But what he said to me is, what could you have done in that moment to take care of yourself? What could you have done differently to take care of yourself? And so we talked about that. And I was like, well, I guess I could have gone freaking put more quarters in the meter. I mean, that's also super logical. But I was so like wanting to blame him and wanting to be self-righteous and all of those sorts of things that go along with being an addict. But we talked through it. But and and I learned in that moment that it's, you know, I have so I say that what do I need to do to take I say it still, what do I need to do to take care of myself right now? Right mm-hmm. now. At this party, I need to leave you know, even if I'm Ubering, you know, miles, I will do that. Even if I Uber to a hotel and spend the night there, instead of going all the way home, I will do that. You know, whatever I need to do to take care of myself in a moment. I, I, you know, I learned that before I got sober, but it served me so well through, through all my sobriety. Right. You know, and things like that. So those are things that were part of the acts, you know, it wasn't that I was trying to get sober. It was that I, you know, want, I had this other thing I wanted to do. And in the process, that helped to contribute to the, the eventual felling of, of the addiction tree mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and, and all of that. And I, the one commitment I did make that I also believe is, was one of the hugest contributors to my sobriety was when I found that... Um, that group of therapists and that, that, that community, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to tell my whole truth. Like I was not going to lie one iota. 
even if I looked bad, <laughs> even if in the case where I kind of, you know, yelled at this therapist, that was me telling my truth. Now, ultimately, I was able to get to a more clear truth and a less blamey, victimy, you know, and so I learned a lot about not being a victim and, and not being a martyr. And, you know, I've, I've, I spent a lot of time just understanding what that meant through reading and, and, and looking at my own behaviors and, and realizing that those are things that kept me, kept me in my addictions. And, and, but the biggest one is being in integrity mm-hmm. is completely and totally being in integrity. Even if you don't, can't back it up with any evidence, <laughs> you know, even if you, you know, again, even if my integrity, we talked about this a little bit, sort of, but, you know, just as a, t- you know, it's like a tot being a toddler in, in, in addiction, then you're simply, you know, a young child. And then perhaps you're a pre-adolescent and then an adolescent, you know, teenager, young adult, you know, so that whole path, you're just learning how to walk and to talk and to read and to write and to do, you know, you're, you know, that's the same thing with the emotional journey and the, maturity journey and those sorts of things that are going along yet we spend so much time on on that other stuff and so little time on growing someone emotionally and understanding how to to be with you know sad feelings and and how to be angry uh and how it's okay and you know and all those 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 things i think there's been a lot done around that but i also think that that it is still not seen as legit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, like we talked in the beginning, like when you, when we start to do these behaviors of numbing ourselves out, you know, we're not really sure what we're doing and why we're doing that or what's underneath that. And so, and I think that this is a beautiful explanation of why recovery is a journey. And some will say, well, just again, it should be over when you stop drinking or when you stop doing this or get out of rehab. I mean, it just doesn't stop because it it has to be a continual, maybe there's some more layers to peel back. And again, that maturity in recovery. And I spent a lot of time the last couple of years learning about being a martyr and being a victim and um, maybe being a villain sometimes. And, (laughs) and instead of that, like putting and under, like you said, like you got to understand that and see yourself that way. But then, you know, I stood in a personal development course. So I'm okay. I get that. Like, that's the way I live because I become completely codependent and I don't know how to be any different. So you got to help me see a different way. Right. And, you know, to live integrity, to, to stand in my own power. You know, that's what they, you know, talk about being the, the leader of your own life. Right. That's what you're speaking of is to stand in integrity. Well, integrity is, is it, (laughs) that's my jam, you know? And, and so I think when you can admit that you are those things, um, that you've, you know, acted as a victim, as a martyr, as a villain, for sure, you know, and then you can say those are responses to the fact that my my heart is broken, that my, you know, that my, um, that I just feel this deep sadness, you know, you know, once you start to see that those are just responses to to, you know, integrous feelings of, of sadness or, um, aloneness, you know, those sorts of things, then, um, then you can start to 
act differently. And then you could say, oh, this is a victim reaction right now. And it starts, for me, it feels, it's almost like this, you know, they talk about the devil and the angel sort of thing. It, it, it's almost like this ugly smoke, you know, and I'm like, I don't like how that feels. I, I, my body rejects those sorts of things very easily now. Like, I, and I know that there's some truth I'm not telling either out loud or to myself. There's something that I'm, those things are coming up because I haven't gotten centered in what's, you know, how to take care of myself and what do I need to do right now? And what's my truth and what, you know, how, how am I really feeling, you know, and do I need to ask for something? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and a therapist told me once as I was in a session and experiencing like something was coming up and there was just so much pain and emotion. And, and she said that when those things happen, when that comes up, that means there's more for you to learn, you know, more that, that pain is there to teach you something. And because it was a trigger, as I saw my daughter struggling, I was triggered emotionally back to my own struggles. And I'm like, I thought it was over all of that. I didn't pass (laughs) that. But when it comes up again, okay, there's maybe something else for me to, to learn there. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I think COVID has been a very interesting opportunity to see how we, how, how we have grown, what we've learned and what we haven't learned. Like I've definitely seen, you know, I went out and bought ginger snaps yesterday. You know, I've been off sugar, you know, for a while. And now I've seen, you know, that barn door is open again and it's, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, there's anxiety about the future. There's all this going on. There's, you know, you know, a son who just graduated from college and it is his journey, but boy, I wish he had a job, you know, not only for, you know, just because, but, you know, for his thing and, but for my peace of mind, I guess, you know, I don't know. There's just all all of those things and thoughts and, and so uh, making sure that I keep my walk in, even if I'm choosing ginger snaps right now. I'm not choosing drugs and alcohol. That door closed, permanently closed. Um, but, you know, recognizing and telling the truth, like you're anxious, you're upset, you're, you know, you're afraid. Um, it's okay. It's okay. Like little girl, like mm-hmm. it's okay that you're feeling like this. And then really pulling on all of my spiritual um, learnings or, you know, from all of my guides, you know, my empathy, you know, my compassion mm-hmm. for myself and for others, you know, all in just really trying to steep myself in that, doing things like this, where I have an opportunity to share and to learn from you in the process uh, and tell my truth some more is helpful. Yeah. And having, yeah, having a little bit of grace because, you know, we're not all perfect. And, you know, again, we can slip a little bit, right. And we can have a ginger snap or we can, you oh, know, no, we're talking 20. Yeah. We're not talking, <laughs> yeah. we're talking 20 and I'm already planning 20 more tonight, Yeah, which yeah. is not healthy. And I, again, just don't do it, Lori. Well, you know what? I yeah. am on that road and that's the addiction, the addictive person in me that, you know, may never go away. And mm-hmm. that's okay too. Yeah. You know, that's I have real compassion for the side of me that uses that as I just am choosing better, <laughs> better addictions, slightly mm-hmm. better addictions that hopefully won't completely end my life. Like, mm-hmm. like the, the, uh, you know, how I, how I made it through. I mean, if you knew the dark and ugly of where I ended up and, you know, 
during the lowest lowest that you know that's a story for another night mm-hmm. that that's a novel to be written but yeah. um you know that i am here and and having you know some some ginger snaps is still a gift <laughs> right absolutely yeah. do you feel like there was one like one program or one book or one retreat or one thing that really kind of made the had the biggest impact on you throughout your life or culmination of a bunch of them? No, it was that it was every ax that I, every time I picked up the ax to chop down the addiction tree, every one of those things contributed to the tree being able to eventually fall down. And again, there's still the little sapling behind of, of uh, sugar that comes in and out for me, but the big addictions, you know, it was, five or six therapists I went to. It was AA, you know, in and out of AA many times. It was rehab. It was um, retreats. It was, uh, it was definitely, um, I'm not a church person, but it, but I have a significant spiritual, I'm a, I'm a passion test facilitator in my, you know, in my job. And so that's, I was certified to help people connect their passions to their careers. And part of that process is to get to the things that, you know, are the most, probably the things that you see as um, fulfilling your most ideal life. What would that be? And number one, and I have it on postcard, index cards all over, is in alignment with the divine. So that my life is consistently, and that's my number one, you can call it a passion, but, uh, you know, because that's, because it's the passion test, but more than that, it's, that's my guiding light is that I continue to get myself back in alignment so that I can hear the next, you know, direction for me. Number two is having fun. So ginger snaps, at least the first two or three are pretty fun is when you get to like seven and you I keep doing, I'm like, this is not fun anymore. You can stop now, you know, and oh my God, life is so hard right now. It's so hard. You know, I'm, you know, business sucks and you know, and all that's true too, but get up, walk and read, you know, so I'm super soul Sunday, you know, I'll listen to those over and over again because they lift my spirits. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I watched, um, almost heaven. You know, it's one of my, you know, or 13 going on 30. I'll watch rom-coms, you know, Sweet Home Alabama. I'll watch those when I start to feel, so I have like this, you know, you, you know, sort of virtual basket of, of things that I can reach into and say, what, what will elevate my state right now? You know, Mm -hmm. what will do that? Because I don't want to deny what I'm feeling, but I don't want to uh, again, go into the victim pity, pity thing, or the the whole well, you know, if this wasn't happening, and in fact, of course, if that wasn't, then it would be different. But this is happening, so I'm justified to do whatever, you know. So I have, you know, rom com movies. I, you know, I read some of my favorite books are like The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. You know, that's like that's like my heart. You know, that I read that one over and over again. I read. I'm I'm a member of Tosha Silver. She has a forum that you know every Tuesday 
over the phone, you know, she just, she was an astrologer and I'm not really an astrology person, even though who knows, I, you know, I'm, I'm also like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, I really don't know. So maybe there's something to that. Maybe there isn't, but she was an astrologer for a long time, but then she, she wrote a book called um, Outrageous Openness. And that I read that book. Um, and that really, you know, felt like for me truth in that it, it really is this idea of, you know, when you're struggling with something, and I should practice this, and I will actually right this moment, um, you know, you offer it. So you offer it. And you say, you know, she has another book called Change Me Prayers, where she says things like, change me into someone who is okay with being scared. Change me into someone that isn't reaching for sugar all the time. Change me, you know, it's just sort of this sort of idea. Um, but the offering of to the divine of this burden so that it's because I truly, truly believe that everything moves through me, that I am literally, you know, I think uh, Anne Lamott maybe said, uh, oh, no, maybe it was Joyce Carol Oates, another author. The idea that she says when she's written like she's a prolific writer, I don't know how many hundreds of novels. And she says, I really am just the the. Um, the hose of which the water moves through, mm -hmm. you know, and I truly believe that in my life when I can get out of my own way, when I can, uh, you know, when my addictions are calm, my addictive behaviors are calm, you know, then this, this ability to be a conduit and to be used in service is, you know, uh, is easier, is, is simpler, is it's more possible. available. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. That's lovely. I love that kind of as a ending point here. I mean, I really, I mean, you shared so much and um, I just, I love that. I, and I learned so much from each one of these podcasts, again, that yeah, we that. are really, that we need to, again, get out of our own, I, I say that for myself, you know, get out of your own way and see your, you know, when we serve others, we serve ourselves. And when we serve others, we're giving what the divine has given to us. And it's not just for us, I believe it's to be shared with others. And just like you've shared your story today, yeah. you know, that's that share, you know, again, it's, it's, it's helping other people. Your work, what you're doing, your career, even with Shackley. And I mean, everyone's career is their form of service. Mm -hmm. um, and so figuring out and understanding how that's true is, is everyone's work because, in, you know, whatever you're doing today, there is a form of service in that. Now it may not ultimately, you know, I'm a recruiter, <laughs> you know, I help companies, you know, find people and I, and I talk to people who are unhappy in their roles and move them into new jobs. And so, you know, where you're at today isn't necessarily where you're going to be two years from now because it isn't necessarily fully satisfying, perhaps. And that's okay, too. But there is right where you're at right now, you can be a form of service in in even if it's to your, you know, you know, reach out to someone, you know, on your team and just say, hey, you know, I saw that, you uh, project that you just completed and good job, you know, like, you know, those simple acknowledgements or there's a way in which you can serve where you're at right now. And it isn't necessarily, you know, necessarily as a nonprofit or is it, you know, it, it isn't like that, but your career, your work is your form of service. And, and then connecting that more and more to, I always say, uh, 
you know, there's the things that you're good at, your skills, your abilities. Then there's those things you're passionate about that bring you joy. And then finally, um, those things that break your heart that we that we've been talking about today, those things mm. as a kid, you know, that break your heart. And when you get into the center of that, um, then you've really hit the, the mother load of, of uh, yeah. purpose. Well, and I love the fact that, again, uh, um, I know people can't see this um, at this point, but, you know, you have that little card that reminds you of yes. your purpose or your mission or your whatever you want to call that, um, your passion, you know, that. It's my touchstones that bring me right back to, you know, when I'm starting to feel spinny, mm-hmm. you know, I can come back to those and go, are you in alignment with the divine right now? Do you, you know, do you need to offer this, what you're, you know, this angst, this, this struggle you can offer, you know, are you having fun? If you're mm-hmm. not, what can you do to have fun? Sometimes it's stop doing whatever I'm doing, you know, and be like, okay, go sit out on the patio. That's okay. Right. I realized that, you know, I, I used to think if I wasn't working so many hours and doing all these different things that, uh, that's, I felt like something, you know, I wasn't going to make enough money. I was going to miss a deal. You know, when you're a straight commission, you know, recruiter, there's always sort of the scarcity thing that happens. And I made a decision to allow my body to guide me to what felt right in the moment and have made more money uh, going and sitting out on my patio and playing, you know, uh, reading a book for, for 30 minutes and then going back and doing, you know, sort of defying career hustle mentality. Right. And right. so, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lori, for You're being welcome. with me today. Um, how can people find you? Um, I'll put it in the show notes too, with your website and all that, but yeah, so uh, my website's www.inspiretech.com. So I N S P I H E R T E C H dot com because we do information technology search of however you identify. We will help you find a job in technology with our clients, and then we do career and coaching services for women in tech is who we market to. But again. If, if you're on a job search and you're struggling, we have a digital course called Take Charge that you can download that there's, you know, 99% of it pertains to pretty much anyone that's on a job search. 1% talks specifically about the tech side of it, having a tech interview, for example. Um, so there's things like that, programs, one-on-one coaching. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, well, and I can just, again, I know you're great at what you do. And um, I think we all can, and you specifically, you know, use your, use your journey of the things that are helping you live in integrity to help others, you know, do the same thing and find success. So yeah, I'd love to love to. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Lori. I appreciate you being here today. And um, again, thanks for listening, everybody. Again, if you have a story to share, you know, somebody that has a story to share, please reach out to me. Um, Again, I love to share them. I love to hear them and just uh, help other people again, live a life of integrity and um, help them on their journey. So thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope, please let me know as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. 
If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.